0: Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The Skipper Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera.
1: Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast. The Skipper Kevin Kennedy, Rich Herrera. You know, Skip, we just had to wait until one of these free agent, marquee free agents, signed to get the podcast going for the next baseball season. And it happens today. ESPN, the first to report. Manny Machado going to the San Diego Padres. Ten years, $300 million. Kevin in your wildest dreams, in all your years of professional baseball, did you ever think we'd see a $300, $300 million man?
0: No. You know what I was thinking about uh, this morning uh, and and after I heard that Machado sounded like he was going to sign, and, and of course he did sign for that amount of money. I was thinking about where I was when my, my teammate in high school, Robin Yount, became the first $3 million player a year. That was 1989. I was managing in the Dominican Republic. I heard it over there in the Dominican, and I couldn't believe it. I said, my gosh, $3 million a year? I, I, it was like unfathomable to think about that then. Well, flash forward to today. To how about $300 million for 10 years? $30 million a year poor ball player no rich it's just uh, unthinkable to me it's in- incredible to me that amount of money and I think that what sh- what it shows you rich is that ball clubs are making money and it's not necessarily through the turnstiles either. they're making money you know in, in the marketing department they're making money in selling you know hats and all different ways, not just uh, ticket sales are drawing their income obviously they're making revenue from TV national TV, local revenue rights, et cetera. But uh, it just tells me that teams are making a lot of money. You don't have to be the Dodgers. You don't have to be the Yankees. You don't have to be the Red Sox to sign a guy like Machado.
1: And before, it had been because the Yankees got more money for their local television and in mm-hmm. radio contracts. The Dodgers were the same. The Red Sox were the same. But the, And they still do. They still make more money for, for Yankee broadcast on TV then let's say the San Diego Padres do one theirs. But now because of MLB.com, Major League Baseball Advanced Media, uh, BAM Tech, all the different digital things that they have. Right. The, the, and we talk about the marketing efforts. It's the licensed goods. It's the digital products. It's the at-bat that all goes into a central uh, revenue pool. stream pool and right. distributed to mm-hmm. all the ball clubs to help make them more competitive. Um are you surprised that Manny Machado got the 10-year deal that he got? Because I quite honestly was waiting to see who was going to be the first to say, I'll take on another one of these 10-year deals.
0: Uh, I Yeah, when it went this long, I didn't think any team was going to go 10 years. I thought that was the holdup. And, you know, it just goes to show you, you have to outbid, uh, you know, a, a team like the Chicago White Sox, who were a little bit surprised when Manny went to San Diego. They thought they were maybe the highest bidder. Maybe the Philadelphia Phillies to all winter, uh, all offseason, we're talking about, we have money to spend on both Machado and Harper, and we're going to go for it. And, you know, you would think they could outbid anybody. And, and maybe it wasn't just about the, the bidding. Maybe it's about, you know, San Diego and where they're going. Maybe it's about the area. I mean, I went to school at San Diego State. You're living down there now. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in San Diego for 10 years making $30 million a year to play baseball? Sign My me goodness. Up. I'm ready
1: to go. Sign me up, let's go. Uh, I'm telling you. Let, let's talk about Manny Machado himself. I said this earlier on the radio here in San Diego, that this reminds me of one of those landscape seismic moves of talent from one side of the country to the other. And I kind of threw out Alex Rodriguez when he left the Mariners. He went to the Texas Rangers. And I know you were the manager there, Kevin, but that, that kind of changed the state of that franchise. Barry Bonds leaves Pittsburgh, goes to San Francisco, changes the state of that franchise. Wherever Harper ends up going, wherever Machado ends up going, that is one of those shifts in talent, Kevin, that I think changes the landscape of baseball.
0: Well, you know, in some ways, I think Machado changes the Padres more than maybe Bryce Harper would change whoever he's going to end up. And I say that because I got a chance to evaluate him in person for the last uh, two and a half months of the season when he came to the Dodgers. I did not know that Manny Machado, number one, was as good a defensive player with the best arm I've seen at shortstop uh, in both leagues in the last couple of years. I didn't know that he was that good defensively until I saw him on on a daily basis. And I've said that before about guys like Chase Utley when he came to the Dodgers. I didn't know he was as good as he was. I mean, you see the numbers and – you hear about him from teammates, what kind of guy he is, this and that. But when you actually watch a guy day in and day out and you evaluate him in your own mind when you're broadcasting a game or when you're just watching a game, whether it be TV or live. And personally, I like to watch guys live. I've always told you that. I've told everybody that, that the best way to evaluate for me is not on video. You've got to see a guy in person. you got to see his actions. you got to see his first step defensively. you got to see – you know, what he does in his load offensively, what his setup is, you know, what, what, how he approaches the baseball, not just the finished product, not just the end result. And Manny Machado, if he wants to play shortstop, he can play, a, He can flat out play shortstop defensively. He doesn't have to play third base. I'm telling you, Rich, he's that good defensively. That's just number one.
1: I've, I've saw him for a long time in the American League East. Uh, great instincts, great first steps, soft hands, cannon for an arm. Um, Cannon. He's got, he's got wheels. He's got power. He can hit for average. He's got, he's the whole package.
0: He's the whole package, you know, and, and, and being in the East as well, um, broadcasting for a while, when you see a team at, you know, three games at a time and maybe 19, 20 times during a season, that's one thing. But again, it's watching him every day, watching what he does to, to get, to get ready to be the player he is and, um, and and one thing I will say on a on a positive note for Manny Machado, he plays every day. He doesn't beg out of uh, games. I was making a note today on a morning show that I did, uh, locally, as a matter of fact, in San Diego, and and I I meant this mention. I said, you know, some players. When I had a guy like Juan Gonzalez back in the '90s, and in in, in uh, those years when he played in the '90s or 2000s you know, Juan would have back problems. He sometimes would find a way to get out of the lineup, and you just had to expect that he was not going to play 150 games. He was not going to be that type of guy. So you would get 120 games out of him. You'd get about 35 to 40 home runs, and you'd get his uh, 100 RBIs, and you'd take that. Manny Machado is going to be out there every day. He's going to play 150-plus games if if they want him to. He's going to play more than that. Uh, That's one thing I will say for him, and when he plays, he puts up Huge numbers, and he can hit good pitching when he wants to. Now, he didn't look very good in the World Series. Uh, he didn't hustle a few times there. We know about the comments that he made, that he's not Charlie Hustle, etc., that he's been trying for seven years to be that type of player. But when he evaluates himself and watches it, he knows how bad he looks. He just hasn't been able to change it sometimes. He'll hit a ball so hard that he thinks a home run. it's a home run, and he's he's, he's three feet out of the box you know, at home plate, and he barely gets to first base on a ball hit. You know, 375 feet. He does that sometimes. And then there's the other side of it, too, where he does some things where some players could have called him a dirty player. He did a couple things in the playoffs with slides that were, uh, you know, slides that were not just taking a guy out. They looked like they had intent to do some damage on a guy. And and Christian Yelich even said that uh, after one of the games against the Brewers, that he's a dirty player. He's always been a dirty player. Well, you know, those are some of the negatives that went against Manny Machado. I don't know Manny well enough personally to to give you any more than just the evaluation I just gave from watching him, but I can tell you this, this guy can flat out play and he's a difference maker. And if he does play his 155 games or so, he's going to make the Padres a much better player and he's going to make a difference in the division this year. And uh, especially with uh, Hosmer there and hopefully for San Diego, he has a better year and especially with all the young prospects that are coming up with San Diego and have been there with San Diego. The one thing that I'm still curious about, you know, who's going to lead the way as far as pitching goes.
1: And that's the big question. There's pitching, but it's still down in the lower levels of the minor leagues. So let's talk a little bit about Manny Machado. And uh, I guess it's Manny Machado 2.0, like you said, played seven years to get to this point. Now he's to this point that if the reports are true, $300 million is banking on. We've broken this down in the podcast before. And on satellite radio, that's nice. But you take out taxes and everything else, it's 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 less than three hundred million. But it's the biggest contract in American sports history, not just in mm-hmm. baseball. Across the board, he's got a richer contract than Michael Jordan ever had, than Tom Brady's ever had, than you know name anybody in in baseball, Mike Trout, all the rest, however, Paul Hulse, all those ginormous contract. He has a bigger contract than anyone else Tiger, in history. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods.
0: Throw him in there. Yeah. Go throw anybody in there. Anybody
1: yeah. in there. He's got a bigger contract than that. With all that being said, that also comes with expectations, and that comes with pressure. Now, Kevin, I've seen it before in the big leagues. You've seen it before. We knew guys. It, you know, I've been around guys that before they got their payday, they were the biggest pains in the butt. And once they got their payday, they are able to relax. And they and they were great players. I've also seen players that got their money, and the pressure just absolutely crushed them. What's it like when these players get these contracts and they try to perform with expectations they've never thought of or dreamed of before in their life?
0: Well, I don't think uh, that Manny's going to feel that. You know, when he got traded to LA, the Dodgers were you know playing better baseball, and they they needed somebody to help push them over the top to end up winning the division and you know it came down to the final game it went to 163 as a matter of fact and, and he was a difference maker for them no doubt because they lost Corey seager for the year um and he played extremely well from i was there the first day he was there from the first game on it, it, we were on the road at the time and from the first game he played uh, to the end um he he didn't really i mean i didn't see him looking like he felt any pressure. Now he may have been during a world series because he didn't perform very well offensively. Um, you know, he, he didn't have a couple of good games in the LCS either. Then he came back and had a, a real big game and hit a, hit a big home in, in one of those games, big home run. So I think that Manny, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys because first of all, because of his swing, because of it, he's got a very easy setup. He's slightly open with his stance uh, he doesn't have a lot of moving parts. There's not a huge leg kick. There's not a lot of timing mechanisms that he has to have. He's just got really good balance. He's he's really uh, a simple approach to the baseball, and the ball just jumps off his bat offensively, So and he can reach the outside corner. He's got a lot of length with his body, I'm talking about. So I don't think offensively he's going to have a problem, and defensively, to me, it looks like he really enjoys making great plays in the hole at shortstop. I mean he can throw the fastest runner out from the from the whole hole like like nobody I've seen in a long long time and I, and i I was really impressed defensively both Rick Monday and I who worked together a lot the last seven years were shocked at, at what we saw defensively because we were told that you know he's really a third baseman he'll play some short in fact his first games with the Dodgers his first couple were with uh, were at third base because okay, Turner on, was time out on,
1: time on. I got ask. give me the difference then let's do a little baseball 101. What's the difference in the skill sets from sec or excuse me from shortstop to third base?
0: Well, third base um, is a reactionary position. You know, it's a it's a fast position. If you're playing halfway in the bag at third base, and a guy hits a rocket to your left or to your right, it's reaction. You've got to take a step and a dive to make a play. It's reflexes. It, it's reflexes. You know, that's why it was called historically the hot corner because it's coming down there hot usually if it's hit hard. At shortstop, you've got time to read the ball. You know, If it's hit to your right, you can decide, do I get around this ball? Do I have time to do that based on who the runner is, based on how hard, hard the ball was hit? Or do I have to backhand this and just you know, go off my back leg and get rid of this because this guy is so fast so that I know I, I can't say, do that?
1: Is it fair to say third base is reaction uh, and shortstop is – well, I'm sorry – Third base is reflex. Shortstop is reaction.
0: No, I, I say third base is a reactionary position. I've always said that. Shortstop is a is a reading the play.
1: Okay, reading the play. That's what I was trying to get.
0: Uh, to. Reading the play, uh, reading the bat off off the the ball off the bat. Reading the knowing the knowing the runner obviously the batter runner, but reading the ball off the bat and knowing you know where the rest of your defense is and knowing what you can get to, and with his arm. Um, he he has such a good arm that he can throw most guys out some guys are, would put a ball in their back pocket if they're hitting the hole uh, like like with Machado but when Machado's out there at shortstop he can make the play and he can make the throw and he knows that hmm. so there's not a there's not a play he can't make out there defensively I saw him throw guys out that have good speed from short left field that I thought there was no way because his arm is that strong he's got a Yasiel Puig-type arm at shortstop. That's how good his arm is. I mean, it's a rocket, and he gets rid of it quickly. He knows how to get rid of it. And then going to his left, he's got great range also, going left and right. So, to me... He can play shortstop. I don't know why the rap on him was that he couldn't play short. He's a third baseman because he can do either one, obviously.
1: Obviously, he got three hundred billion million.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, a lot of people were saying before the trade that really he's a third baseman, that he's going to struggle at short. He didn't struggle at all at short. Paralysis of analysis, if you ask me. Right. Now, now,
1: Kevin, let's talk about what this means in the big picture. So we want to bring in all the baseball fans around the country. For the labor piece or labor strife that we know is coming uh, in Major League Baseball, Gary Shetfield, uh, outspoken, has said that uh, there's collusion right now amongst the owners. Um, You're starting to hear whispers of that. I don't really believe that's true. I think that the market has reset itself, and the 10-year Albert Pujols money is going to be few and far between. I think Manny Machado is the exception. But what does this do for the labor piece in baseball that it took so long to sign Manny – which means there's a lot of other players that are still waiting to see what the market is set. It's now set where Manny Machado is. But in the end, Machado got his money and he got his years. So it's a win for both and a loss for both in a way.
0: Well, you know, Scott Boris has always said, every time I've talked to Scott either you know personally or been on the air with him, he'll always say it only takes one team to step up and get, the, and get it done. And yeah. that's what San Diego had to do to get Manny Machado. Other teams didn't want to go 10 years. I mean, they wanted to go seven years at, you know, $28 million or $25 million, but they didn't want to go the 10 years. And I understand that. I said this morning, I, I wouldn't give a guy 10 years. I wouldn't want to do that. The only advantage that Manny Machado and Bryce Harper have in this market is that they're both young guys. They're at 26 years old.
1: No 30-year-old is going to get a 10-year contract.
0: No way. No way. And Albert Pujols, when he got his 10 years with the Angels – and Artie Moreno, the owner, signed off on that. Albert was already in his 30s, and he was already having problems with his feet and with his legs, and with the, you know, uh, a lot of lot of issues uh, with with running and you know, uh, you know, springs right. yeah, and no, things like that. So yeah, that I, I, mean, I didn't
1: think I told you this. I remember Jerry Depoto in ESPN the magazine said, "Well, by the time that the last year of his contract, everything else will have fallen off, meaning that you know what? It's okay if we have some dead money." And I think you saw teams attempting to try that where they had dead money, where they had money, uh, top money paid for players past their prime. And I think we saw how that how that choked some of the players, the angels we saw with Alex Rodriguez and the Yankees. And I don't think teams are willing to have dead money paying top dollars to guys that aren't performing at the top level.
0: No, I agree, and I think for the reasons we've already said, Manny Machado's young. He's played every day. He hasn't been hurt, and, and those are and those numbers speak for themselves. And so those are a few of the reasons why you'd go the extra couple of, maybe three years extra more than you'd to. As far as your question on the market and collusion, I don't necessarily believe it's collusion. I, I believe it's the way the game is being played today, by, dictated by the front office and be dictated by sabermetric people. I think first what's going on today with these uh, – New general managers and these new executives and CEOs and of uh, the baseball departments is that they're checking in with all of their sabermetric people. I mean, some of these organizations have as many as 30, 30 <laughs> analysts in there uh, for sure. Oh, no, I I, mean, no I'm, yeah. not,
1: I'm not laughing. I agree with
0: yeah, you. Yeah,
1: It's almost as if the analytics have completely overtaken the eye test
0: absolutely they have and, and yeah people will say well we believe in both well that might be fine and true but uh, i know even with the san francisco giants uh when they went to the me- winter meetings some of the scouts that usually go to the winter meetings weren't even invited they took right. their sabermetric people because they were making decisions based on numbers not based on what what scout says across the room and on the eye test that he saw back in september about a guy or, or during a season about a guy and that, that's a shame you know um but that's the way the game is. So I think the the holdup is also that's part of it, and and number two, we're starting to see the openers of, of pitchers. We're starting to see I mean, more. That is more, the
1: dumbest thing of the whole. While. Oh, it,
0: it, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I you agree know, you know what
1: happens if you have an opener? That means you don't have five starters. Don't give me this, I've decided to go with an opener. No, that means you don't have enough pitching depth to give me a five-man rotation, and you're trying to spin it. I'm going to give you some kind of BS to give you an opener. And
0: and here's the other thing, is what happens is we're copycats in baseball. So if one team does it, now they've said, well, let's try that. We'll do that with a guy or two with the back end of our rotation, because they're not that good, you know? And. This particular club has three right-handed hitters, so we'll, we'll bring our slider guy in to pitch the first inning. That might be Sergio Romo in the case last year with Tampa Bay, and he gets through the first inning, and now i will bring our starter in. But what people don't understand, that some people that are making those types of decisions, is that starters are uh, very routine-oriented. Players are routine-oriented, period. And, and a guy like Madison Bumgarner, for example, when I saw that he said he would walk out if somebody tried to do that when he was pitching, he wouldn't do it, and I understand where he's coming from because the preparation to build up to that fifth day um, is everything, and and you would prepare a little bit differently mentally. That would take you, that would take the edge off just a little bit, and it's almost like saying, well, you can't get those first three guys out. We don't want to be down in the first inning, so we're going to bring somebody in to open it that we believe can get them out because the stats say so, and then you could pitch the second through the seventh inning or the second through the sixth inning, and then we're going to bring in somebody else because three times around the lineup the last couple of years, Madison, you haven't been as good as you were in the World Series years, and those are the types of things that, that that's how some of the analytic people will answer it, Rich. Well, if you but,
1: can't do that, you don't belong in the starting rotation.
0: Well, right. and, and here's what's what's happening as well. We're copycats in baseball, so one team starts becoming a platoon team like the Dodgers, and all of a sudden other teams go, look what the Dodgers did. I mean, they get David Freeze to get left-handed pitching, right? So a left-handed pitching pitcher starts late in the season or even in the playoffs, he gets a big base hit in, in the first inning or even hits a home run in the first inning, and now that left-handed starter is knocked out of the game, and now the righty comes in, and all of a sudden, David Freeze doesn't get a second at bat in that game, and you've already started to unload your bench.
1: Right, and you're going to come up short at the end. Well, um, a-
0: absolutely, and not every team can do that. And the Dodgers were fortunate enough to do that. They had Max Muncy hitting 35 well, home the, runs the, last the year. The
1: Dodgers were about as deep as you can go with guys. But, that not, but, but, here, but
0: here's the point on that. This is why the, this, this offseason is, is going the way it's going. I think it's part of the reason why you're seeing not these guys are not getting the money they are. A lot of teams now say, well, we want to do what the Dodgers are doing. We want to have uh, five or six guys that can play multiple positions. Well, you might be able to play four or five positions, but let me tell you, you don't play four or five positions well at every one of them and you make you start making mistakes and and that's you know take Kiki Hernandez he's a great at a lot of positions there's no doubt about it but he's not a center fielder and so the Dodgers what the Dodgers do they went out and got a true center fielder in AJ Pollock i think that speaks for itself so you can't just say well a guy plays a lot of positions four or five guys can do that it does it's not that easy to do that because right. you got to you got to work at that position a lot whether That's you're playing shortstop, left field, yep. right field. yeah, right. That's right. why Ben
1: Zobris brought different gloves because he was forced to do that because he didn't have a natural position that he was a steady, Eddie, everyday player at. Exactly. Um, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about before we get out of here, Skip. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Bochy has announced that this is it last year, last uh, last go-around, if you will, as a skipper of the San Francisco Giants. I've said this for years. I've said this on satellite radio with you. I've said this on regular radio with you. He needs to, and I hope everybody does this season because it's his final hurrah, they need to start talking about him the way they talk about Joe Torre. When you talk about Bruce Bochy, you need to say future Hall of Fame manager Bruce Bochy the same way we did it for Joe Torre.
0: Well, I think you know the articles I read today, they were saying that, and they should, they should be saying that, at least the ones I saw on Twitter and, and the ones that I saw online, and I'm glad they, they are saying that. Bruce told me two years ago i always go down and see bruce whenever the giants come into town i've known him forever and even when he's gone into the hospital with afib the last few years uh i, I remember I, I text him and i always check in on him see how he's doing and it's always i'm doing okay kevin thanks for checking in he always has a really positive attitude about it but well, the best but, guys. Best guys. but it, he really is he's never changed you know i think i go back to 1995 and I remember Bruce, when he first got the job, I had already managed a couple of years in the big leagues, and the winter meetings were in Arizona and Phoenix, Scottsdale area that year. And I ran into Bruce, and he said, hey, Kevin, do you have any advice? And I said, "I said, Bruce, you'll be fine. You were a catcher. You've been there. <laughs> you'll be absolutely fine. Just be yourself. Be true right. to yourself. If you believe it, say it. Don't be somebody you're not. That's the only thing I could tell you. And he has and He's never changed. You know, that's no. the one thing about Bruce. But I knew two years ago when I saw him, he goes, Kevin, I, I'm getting to the point. I want to do what Felipe Alou is doing. I said, what's Felipe doing? He said he's a, he's a, an assistant in the Giants organization to the front office, and he's just got his kind of his own schedule. And he says, really, that's I'm about ready to do that. So when I heard that he was not going to manage anymore after this year, number one, his contract is up. Number two, they're going a new direction in San Francisco, and he knows that with uh, Farhan Zaidi running right, it now. Right. And so um, it, it makes the timing of it. Works out really well for Bruce, and I hope the Giant. I know the Giants and Larry Bear are going to do a lot of good things, you know, for him and honor him this year. But I hope they uh, give him a pretty a good job in the organization, doing pretty much what he wants to do to help the organization evaluate players.
1: Think about the brain trust that they're going to have for the next skipper. If everyone ever want some advice, you got Felipe Alou, you've got Dusty Baker, and now you got Bruce Bochy all right there as special assistants. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. Um. I want to add the podcast, uh, but it's going to be on a sad note. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip. We've, I've lost I was telling somebody I was telling my wife uh, this weekend that uh, I've lost three great baseball friends uh, this off season. Um, mm-hmm. You're We're going to talk about one that you that you lost uh, in Don Newcomb, who passes away Dodger Legend. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about Ken Revisa. Uh, last year on the podcast, uh, my very dear friend and someone you know very well, Jim McKeon, uh, mm-hmm. Major League Baseball umpire, yep. passed away. Yep. and then T-Bone Tommy Giordano uh, just mm-hmm. passed away a week ago. And I wanted right. to mention all three of those, but I-, I wanted to ask you to to speak to a little bit of of Don Newcomb and in-, in in who he was and in the man he was.
0: Well, the best interview I've ever been involved in was uh, the very first year of of when it was called XM at the time in 2005. Uh, The first couple of days, Rob Bibble and I worked together uh, when we were doing that show uh, for three hours every day for the first four or five years uh, of the channel. Um, we had Pete Rose on and Jose Canseco on day one. I, for obvious reasons, Jose's book came out the day we opened up the show. The day, the day XM started was, was uh, Valentine's Day of 2005. But the next day or the, shortly thereafter, I said to, to, to Rob and I said to our producer, Chris Eno, I said, we've got to get Don Newcomb on. And, and he'll talk about Jackie Robinson and, and Roy Campanella. And I want the fans to hear um, some of the greatest insight into what really went on, not just as a baseball team, but, but socially throughout society and really what, what he meant throughout the world. I mean, he knew Martin Luther King well. A month before Martin Luther King was assassinated, Don Newcomb was uh, having dinner with him at his house, at Martin Luther King's house. And Martin Luther King said how much that Jackie Robinson and, and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb meant to the uh, to the civil rights movement, uh, period. And so this interview that we did, and I, I hope, you know, XM, Sirius XM plays it a little bit or gets clips of it, because it doesn't matter that it was that many years ago. It's, it's, it's the Don Newcomb that I know, and I want people to hear that. But I'll, I'll share a little bit of, of what he was about. Um, he was about class. He was about uh, treating people the right way. He was the best-dressed man at the ballpark every single day. And I asked him one day, I said, Don, you still wear a suit, a tie? Um, the, the best set of uh, threads I've ever seen on you. Every single day, a hat. I mean, you're impeccably dressed. And, and he said, I learned that from Jackie Robinson. And he, mm. and he said, and Jackie told us, he said, we got to look the part and be the part. And, and uh, that's, that's got to be part of our, our, our life. And, and we got to dress the part and have class and, and show people what we're about. And he said, I never forgot that. That was one thing. And so to this day, um, up until the day he passed away this morning, um, he would last year even uh, he wasn't doing that great last couple of years. We know that he apparently had a little bit of beginning of Alzheimer's going on. That's what I understand. And you know he wasn't recognizing some people, but he'd still go out to the ballpark mm. and he could still talk about the old days impeccably. You know that's and that's what happens with with that situation. But um, he had a fall. I found out he had a fall in January that affected him a little bit. And did hit his head, and um, that slowed him down. And then um, there had been a couple of different falls going on. I won't get into too much detail about what actually happened, but it, it all affected him to why he ended up passing away today. And um, uh, it's, it's a sad day for everybody because this man, I, I was fortunate enough to be a Dodger in the 80s as a young instructor, and there there in camp was camp, Roy Campanella working with the catchers, and in his wheelchair, and I would was a catching instructor so I would help him physically and then there was Don Newcomb helping with the pitchers and both of them in, in the meetings at night wow we would just we would just all shut up and listen to stories about their their days with Jackie Robinson and, and growing up in Brooklyn and and what went on so we got a real history of, of um, civil rights movement what what it was really like for those players in those days and what Jackie Robinson really meant and how he led the way and that, so Don Newcomb felt that he had to keep the torch, so to speak, because the torch was passed on to him and Roy Campanella. And then when we lost Roy Campanella years ago, uh, Don Newcomb was like the last one, one left from, from right. really that, that era and that movement. And that's why he meant so much to everybody at, in L.A., for sure. But really throughout the country, and I think all of baseball. So to lose Don, because up until a couple of years ago, Rich, I mean, even into his 90s, early 90s, he was as sharp as a tack.
1: Oh, I'd seen him at, at Dodger Stadium. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, My friend. Tommy and, and
0: and one yes. word, one more word. I want to say. He said there was one word Jackie taught him, and he said that we want to change that word bitter because we're all a lot of guys are bitter. This is going back to the 40s and 50s now, and and before the actual you know civil rights movement with Martin Luther King in the 60s. And I, and he said Jackie wanted to change that word. Don't be bitter about what's going on. Let's change that I to a an E and make things better. <laughs>
1: I never heard that story.
0: That's Don Don Newcomb would. Well, you know, who would tell, tell us that often about Jackie would tell those guys that
1: well you know Mitch Lukovic always taught me and it's a mantra that I give and I I pass on to my son is uh you have a choice you can either get bitter or you can get better the choice is yours
0: well that's that's what Jackie was saying you know don't be bitter guys about you know where we're we're at right now in Major League Baseball you know let's make things better I'm I'm I have my chance and now you guys are up here and and we're going to make things better. And that's why he wanted to do everything the right way. And he, and he taught Roy and, and uh, Don Newcomb how to dress, how to act, how to, how to players. Uh, be first class. And, um, and to, the, to his dying day, we're talking about a first-class gentleman all the way in Don Newcomb.
1: I want to mention my friend Tommy Giordano,
0: T-Bone, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: throughout baseball. Right, Skip?
0: Well, Tommy was uh, – well, I'll just say one word, and I want you to finish it because you, you know him well. He was a scout. At the end, and he was you saw him a lot in Tampa there. Um, but Tommy was uh in Baltimore when I was there, he was a scouting director. And then later, after Clyde Clutch died a year after he drafted me as a farm director, Tommy took over both jobs for several years for the Baltimore Orioles and, and he followed Hank Peters wherever he went. So I've I know Tommy from the from my, my first six seven years in pro baseball. So, uh, sorry to hear I heard that last week that he passed away as well. And he was still working, by the way, too. 90. go go ahead.
1: 94 years old. He got, a,
0: he got a three-year contract, I heard. At 90, extension.
1: Three-year yeah. contract at yeah. 94. Please, dear God, let me have that. Love to be at the ballpark every day. Yeah. Had time for everybody, whether you were a snot-nosed rookie cub reporter or a Hall of Famer. Everybody wanted to spend time with T-Bone. He wanted to talk to you. He cared about you. He knew the names of your family, your kids, your wife. He knew what was going on in your life. He was such a gentleman, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the, 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 the funny part is two things, Skip, two things, and this tells you kind of the person that he was because he took me under his wing, and he and I and Joe Castiglione would go to, uh, for the Red Sox, would go, go to dinner in, uh, in Fort Myers, and I'd actually make excuses to go down to Fort Myers to see uh, Joe and T-Bone and have dinner with them. Even if I didn't have to be down there, I'd just make the trip anyway because I wanted to spend time with them. But I walked around for years asking everybody, why doesn't Dustin Pedroia get beat on, uh, on fastballs inside? Because you look at him, and it's such a little guy, but he's got that big swing, right? Mm-hmm. T-Bone, I asked everybody and their brother, I asked everybody what was going on. Nobody could explain it to me. T-Bone goes, well, I don't know, come here, let's watch it, kid. And he explained to me, it's not that the swing is long. To the, to the ball, he's short, he's compact. He has he, – there's not a lot of wasted movement. He just has a big backswing finish. and follow-through and finish, finish that yeah. makes it look like it's a big, long, looping swing. That's right. why I'm like, I've asked people for years. You're the first person to ever figure it out. He's also the one that pulled my son aside when he was seven, eight years old and said, here's, what, here's the key to hitting. For every inch the ball comes towards you, your nose has to meet it. And if your nose meets the ball right in front of you, then you're going to make contact little things like that made it so simple, this complicated game, and I'm grateful that I got a chance to be his friend.
0: Well, I am too, and that's that's why guys like Tom Giordano and the guys with the eye test, that's why they uh, some a lot of people believed in them and, and uh, kept hiring them, and that's why he kept working so long and, and got a three-year extension uh, not too long ago, as a matter of fact. So that tells you a lot. Jack McKeon, who did not pass away uh, 88 years of age, that worked a show a couple Saturdays ago, and, and we had him on, and um, he said he's still waiting to hear from Derek Jeter because. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeter needs all the help he can get right we now a, down there. We asked, we asked, what happened? What you know? You got he signed with Washington just uh, a, a few weeks ago, and he and he's working at you at, uh, at eighty eight years of age with the Nationals. Where his son is, I think, the farm director or a big assistant there at least. And uh, he said, well, Derek Jeter said, uh, you're going to be okay here. We'll work something out. He goes, I'll get to you in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, in, in typical Jack McKeon fashion, you know, the punchline was, uh, I said, well, well, what happened? He goes, well, I'm still waiting for that phone call. <laughs> it's <been> a couple <laughs> weeks turned awesome. into two years.
1: <laughs> oh, that is awesome.
0: But it just tells you guys like that, you know, 88, 90 to John Newcomb still had a lot of value. I mean, you ask Kenley Jansen about uh, yeah. what Don Newcomb meant to him, and he'll he'll break down crying, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Don, Don, uh, Don helped him a lot, just mentally. On how to get people out, not maybe so much physically, but mentally. So, those guys are still very important, and not in just the game, but in life, obviously, that they can help and teach.
1: Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast. We will be back with you again next week. Uh, Don't forget if you want to find Kevin Kennedy, Kevin Kennedy, MLB on Twitter. I am RBI Rich. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on America's Best Baseball Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,